Leila Jati. And I'm Marcus Azati. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and living with it now that we're adults. And today mm-hmm. we are on our fourth part of our mm-hmm. arts series um, where, where we will be discussing visual arts, uh, specifically yes. painting and sculptures, I think that's what mm-hmm. we were going to go for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we'll stick with it. So I know in my family, going to museums was kind of a, not a big deal, but we definitely tried to do it as much as we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think I really sort of went and I saw a few art exhibitions when I was a kid. Um, but it used tended to be European art, not so much anything from Japan. But the thing is, is that you would, um, certainly you tend to go around things like temples and stuff like that in Japan and you would see paintings and things like that that were done because like in Japan they do them on the sort of a shoji, the uh, paper walls and paper doors and stuff like that. And they would have these amazing images. Mm-hmm. And some of them would be quite interesting to see because it's a very different sort of visual style in Japan um, from what you would expect in Europe anyway. Yeah. No, I, I always found it to, it's, it seems softer. There's a softness mm. to the color and the style of mm. Japanese art, traditional art that I think is very different from European art. Um, yeah. I definitely remember going to quite a few visual art museums when I was younger. I remember going to, when we lived in DC for a very brief time, I, mm-hmm. I f- remember fairly well going to uh, the Museum of Modern Art in DC um, mm-hmm. and being thoroughly confused. Um, but then I remember going to the um, the art museum that's on the the like main area in DC. And I remember thinking, that so much of it was so beautiful. Like there was just mm-hmm. these amazing ways of looking at light and how they would fit the form. And it was just so beautiful. My mm-hmm. grandma's really been into art. She actually um, has been doing um, like pen based, like quick sketches and stuff. She'll do yes. a lot of yes. pen line art. Anytime she would come and visit, she would do that. Um, and my mom actually almost went to college for art, but then she didn't, she did something else. But, but so there's always been a kind of appreciation for the visual arts and Mm -hmm. going to museums was definitely a big part of that. So I I felt Mm -hmm. like I, I learned how to go to museums at a very young age. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to learn. I don't think I ever really sort of like the one thing about, because I lived in London for two, two and a half years. Um, so the thing is, is that there, the nice thing is, is that the exhibitions, not necessarily exhibitions, but the, the art that you can see, uh, it's free to go into the galleries and mm-hmm. stuff. So you can see all kinds of things. So particularly, I really liked you know, the National Gallery and the Tate Modern. Um, the National Gallery had stuff by all sorts of artists. So things from Caravaggio to Hieronymus Bosch, mm-hmm. um, Turner, um I can't even name all the people that they had in there. I mean, you could even see some medieval stuff because there's a um, a thing that belonged to Richard II called the I think the correct name of it is the Wilton Diptych, which is basically it's, it's an altarpiece. So he he could carry it around as his personal altar, mm-hmm. and it's a representation of him with Mary and then three of the saints of England. I can't remember who they were. I think it was maybe not saints of England, but there was Edward the Confessor, John the Baptist, and then. 
somebody else, I can't remember who the third one was, but it's basically the idea that he's accepting the, um, he's been given a flag and he's accepting it from Christ and Mary and he's going to protect it, which is the flag of England, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's his own sort of like old little altarpiece. So that's, you know, the medieval stuff that you could see. Um, all sorts of things in that gallery. And because it's free, you can walk around it and just have a look at the stuff. Um, it tends to be pretty much all European art. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Tate Modern, have a variety of stuff um, from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is modern art. So you certainly have things from the United States. You'd have things from, um, I'm sure there must have been some Chinese stuff in there and Japanese stuff, all kinds of things that you could go and see. The other place that's interesting for seeing stuff is also sometimes in the British Museum. Mm-hmm. I did it get has to such see... a wide collection of stuff. Yeah, I did get to go to the British Museum one of the times I went to London. And actually, I think I mm. went twice. I could be wrong though but I'm pretty sure I went twice and I remember going into the section that was um all of the ancient Egyptian stuff because at the time I was really Mm -hmm. into ancient Egyptian stuff I remember walking around it and I was just so fascinated but uh, there was also a part of me that knew the history of it so I was like this Mm -hmm. feels a little weird but I'm very appreciative Mm -hmm. that I can look at it but it's also kind of like ooh, this is a little strange um but I do yeah. I do remember being in Japan and getting to, I think one of my favorite museums we ever went to was, um, we went into, it's very small. It's like literally a house, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Fushiki Museum. So if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, Fushiki are the little dangly items that would be put on the ends of purse, like the... Oh, right. yeah, old yeah, yeah. purses because with a kimono kimonos don't have pockets and so anything yeah. you wanted to carry you would have to put it through your belt or you would have to carry it on your wrist and so mm-hmm. um these items would be wrapped at the end of the tassels of the the handles of the purse so that you could mm-hmm. put it over your belt and it wouldn't just fall out like there would actually be something right, yeah. that could stop it from falling fans would have it too and yes when you were a person who had money, you could pay someone to make very intricate, very delicate, basically sculptures, like these tiny little mm-hmm. etchings. And some of them were made of bones, some were wood. And it was fascinating. Like it really was yeah. like this beautiful, intricate art that was maybe like no bigger than the palm of my hand at the most. Like most of the time it was oh, smaller right. than yeah. that. Was interesting because like these different different cultures because uh, different styles of clothing and things like that will create different kinds of little practical things or little bits of decoration on things that are meant to be practical. Just gives it that sort of like it's like belt buckles is sort of a weird yeah. one, isn't it? Like people like decorate. It's their exactly belt like a bed, belt yeah. buckle. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's just interesting, particularly in Japan. Like the stuff that they do, like they have the. Um, like certain kinds of ways of making ceramics and bowls and stuff. And there are certain kinds of bowls which are like designed I can't remember the name of the of the of the design. Hopefully it'll come back to me. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But they're they're, they're not crafted to look perfect. Mm-hmm. They look I mean they look earthy and they're not designed to be absolutely perfect. So they have like 
sort of rough outsides and the edges are kind of curved in strange ways. They look like they've been pulled out of the earth almost. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular kind of way of making this particular kind of ceramic, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's like Kyoto always has all this sort of stuff where they make these things uh, as part of like the tradition and the culture because Kyoto's the ancient capital of Japan. So a lot of the ancient sort of like practices still stay there. Mm-hmm and arts and design and stuff like that and there's the one thing if you're in japan the place you should go is kyoto oh absolutely that's where you will see that's where you'll see everything everything yeah the temples to the paintings uh, sculptures all sorts uh, and they're everywhere yeah i'm a big fan of kyoto anytime someone's going Mm -hmm. to japan and they're like i don't know where to go i'm like you go to kyoto (laughs) tokyo's great you need to go to kyoto if you want to really understand like japanese culture and you want to really experience it you go to kyoto because it's a really Mm -hmm. interesting blend between the old and the new and yes i think that's actually something that i really appreciate about japanese culture and the way that they approach traditional things is there is a reverence for it and there's this this feeling of we need to keep it around it's not about pushing it away Mm -hmm. and forgetting about it it's this acknowledgement of yes this is old this is traditional but there's still beauty in it there's still something that's very valuable within it and so it gets you know brought into modern world into the modern world and it's not just in museums like you see traditional japanese art everywhere all the time it's not just like it doesn't have to hang in the museum to be valued it could be in your home it could be in a restaurant like it's kind of everywhere yeah i mean i suppose it would kind of I know I can't, there's no kind of equivalent in sort of like sort of like a Western tradition of the things that you would have. I don't think necessarily, unless unless it's like having a tea set. Like mm-hmm. in Britain, you might have a tea set that would be kind of like you, and you would want it. Maybe if you're going for a traditional thing, there'll be like a traditional tea set that you have. But these days, people don't seem to be interested. They they kind of like if you want to sort of like flash and know what you're doing, you kind of have these. Um, I don't know these sort of um, glass teapots and things like that, or. I've seen those. I've seen those. I mean, they make nice. me so nervous. The glass teapots. Yeah. I'm always like, that's going to shatter. I know it's not because they've been treated a yeah. certain way, but it always makes me really nervous. <laughs> but uh, it's just like, yeah, but it, like the porcelain teapots are the ones that really creep, creep me out because I really worry that that's going to break. Because <laughs> like, it used to be a huge thing in Britain to like make porcelain teapots because that was the best way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And so you have these nice sort of really decorative teapots and... You don't see them very much anymore. I mean, like, unless you want to go and buy one. But I mean, like, you go to a cafe or restaurant, it's always some sort of more modern design. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be, you, you know, your cafetiere would be made of glass, or then so you do get teapots made of ceramics, but they're pretty plain. Mm-hmm. They're not as they finely decorated kind of like a, as like older styles. Mm, yeah. I think there's a much more sort of um, certainly I would even say modernist sort of like minimalist style to a lot of teapots that you'll see mm-hmm. um, and people like them so fair enough I mean you sometimes get ones that have like funny fun pictures on them but you don't get these sort of nice porcelain ones being sold very often I think you know that's actually in something Japan, you... sorry go ahead yeah sorry it's just in Japan you see things that do look like the tradition has been carried on they haven't really endeavoured to get rid of it they're kind of going well this is why we've done it for years so here you go here's your teapot with your, with your pot of tea and then here's the cup that looks sort of like this and that's always looked like this and that's how we're going to keep doing it and you're kind of going yeah fair enough it makes sense because it works 
<laughs> you ever like go like to the restaurants and they have those like thick rimmed, like the thick pots, like cups with no handle on that you drink your tea out of, you know, in the restaurants. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. You're just kind of going, you wouldn't do that in Europe. You'd have something more sort of like chic. Yeah, sleek. And it'd probably be made of glass. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, like not like a flute, but you know. Yeah, no, I love older teapots and teacups. I actually collect them. I go mm-hmm. to estate sales yeah. and I get like the old ones that have like really nice like gold trimming or like you can tell if mm. you really look at the cup that it's been painted on instead of just mm-hmm. like stamped on the cup. I really love those yeah. and I appreciate them so much, not just because I'm mm. going to use them in a show, but also for me personally, <laughs> I really love yeah. them. It's actually a problem to the point where my partner now, if he goes to an estate sale, if he sees any sort of teacup, he'll send me photos and he's like, you want it? You want it? I'm like, don't, don't tempt me. I have <laughs> like over 30 cups now. I really, shouldn't get any more but I'm always so tempted um I so wait going back to visual arts sorry (laughs) I was gonna say I think something that's so fascinating is that we clearly like having art around us because anytime I go to someone's house there's always some sort of visual element that's on the wall even if it's a Mm -hmm. poster we like having things around us that we can look at that is drawn or photographed that you know makes us feel something or has some sort of value within it and it's just kind of wild to think about when you look at art in a museum I like to remind myself Mm. sometimes I'm like that was in someone's home that was like sitting on a mantelpiece that piece that got requested mm. most likely was in someone's house or in someone's castle, but it it belonged to a person. Yes, that's true. That's an interesting thought. I mean, it's interesting now that we have this idea of the art gallery, which is great because, I mean, it, it's, it's very democratizing in its own way. But the initial, in a sense, I suppose, an initial function of the painting might have disappeared. Mm. Like... Like you see something like a Titian or something like that, and you know that that was deliberately made to be a religious item. Mm-hmm. So it, it had a function mm-hmm. in a sense, and so you've kind of taken it out of its original context. Imagine, especially if you take something like a, like a Bosch painting, like those triptychs, you know, where they have like his images of hell and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it, it, so it, weird. It had, it had a function. They're really weird, but it had a function, and I'm sure like somebody it would have been a sort of like sort of thing to be de- like for devotion and stuff and there's one like a really amazing painting of christ on the cross uh by grunewald and it's it's a german painting and it's really visceral and it's really powerful but this thing was built and it, i think it still exists and it's it's still in germany it might still be in the building that it was painted for i can't remember but it's like well, i think it's on wooden panels and it opens up and you basically got christ on the cross and it was put into a hospital Mm. And so and this is, I think, in the 1500s or maybe slightly earlier, I think the 1500s, but it's there to sort of like, and it and it, is, it shows Christ in terrible pain and all these people around him, like, you know, Mary, and the disciples and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really there to sort of partly remind the people who are suffering their own physical pain at a particular time. Because, I mean, obviously, in the sort of Renaissance and medieval period, you couldn't help people. It was really difficult to help people. But then at least you have this image of Christ on the cross as a, your suffering is like Christ's suffering. Mm-hmm. 
you will get to heaven. It will be okay. Mm-hmm. It, it all serves a purpose. The suffering serves a purpose, which I think is an interesting thing because it has that context. And within that context, it's really important because obviously the hospitals and stuff like that would be run by nuns and monks and things and people like that. It had a religious so aspect religi- to yeah. it inherently. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and because it was in a religious setting, it has it has its context. And I think the thing is, is that more recently in more modern times, the painting itself is everything. The context in which you see the painting is less important than what's contained within the painting itself. Mm-hmm. I think it's a much more modern idea. And it's and it's interesting because when you see more modern paintings, stuff like Pollock's and Rothko's, they mm-hmm. have the viewpoint of the painting is what's important. It's not the context yes. of where it's set because they weren't really thinking of the context. There was this no. way of looking at the art where this is going to go up in someone's house. Like, I know mm-hmm. I'm going to sell this work and it's going to be a visual, like, oh, I can look at it mm-hmm. and appreciate it. But it wasn't made for a very specific context. Like the Sistine Chapel, for example, that yes. can only exist there. That is not coming yes. out. That is the Sistine Chapel. It was made yeah. for that setting and that space. And I think the closest we can think of that existing in the modern world is something that I love to do is um, street art. If you see artists doing murals and street art where they literally incorporate the actual space into the art that they're doing, it is made for that context. That art is supposed to exist there. Like Banksy does it, but there's a a million Mm -hmm. other, not a million, there are a lot of other street artists who do the similar things. That context is part of the art. Yes. I think that's the closest thing we have to that old way of looking at art where it had to exist within a context. Yes. And I suppose if you want to be sort of like really sort of like clever about it or maybe overly clever, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's how cave and rock art work from, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, thousands and thousands of years. And people like, I suppose, the context of the place that you made the painting is maybe because the place has a specific meaning to the people who are painting it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't spend that much time making that much effort to do that unless the place had a special meaning, I think. It's not just graffiti. It's not just somebody drawing something and just leaving it. It's somebody who's actually kind of thought through what they're doing and they all often seem ritualistic to an extent and probably might have a religious element. I mean, maybe we don't know, but it, it seems to be that that's what it is. I mean, like you think of... Um, I, mean, I suppose there's one little problem, with, well, one of the big problems with like the British Museum is a lot of the sculptures that come from Egypt and other places they're taken out of the context mm-hmm. which I mean like the big one now is the Elgin marbles uh, taken away from the Parthenon and just sh- put in the museum um, but at the same time I suppose one of the arguments that people make is that at least people can go and see them and people will be exposed to all sorts of different stuff I mean it's, it's difficult with the British Museum and you hear all sorts of arguments probably best not to get too much into it but I suppose maybe in a sense the removal of those objects from their context maybe not diminishes them, but maybe makes them harder to understand. It, you lose you lose some of the background information that you would get if you were yeah. seeing it in the context. Like with street art or even graffiti, when you see it within the space that it was created in, it makes sense because you're understanding yeah. like maybe it's criticizing the fact that you're encroaching on our space or it's a mm-hmm. power move saying like this belongs to us. Yeah. I'm going to put this art here. 
And I think when yeah. you take it out of that context, you lose that meaning. You lose how that importance, the value of that mm-hmm. piece. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with creating art that doesn't have to exist within a context. I think there's something oh, yeah. like I love Pollux. I love Rothko. Rothko is one of my mm-hmm. favorite modern artists. I really love yeah. the work that he does. Um, but I also think there's something really important about seeing art that it has to, it has to exist within that space for it to yeah. fully make sense for you to really look at it and go, yeah. aha, I get it. I, I know why this yeah. is here. And it, it, it speaks to me in a much deeper way than if I saw it in a museum. Um, yeah. But I think, I think what's actually interesting is I don't know how many young people are actually going to museums. I don't know. It's, it's difficult because different countries will do very different things in terms of um, how people are able to gain access Yes. In Britain, it's really good because as far as I remember, I think it was in the 90s. It might have been slightly later, but um, one of the things that the Labour government did was it allowed um, people to get into museums and galleries for free unless they were special exhibitions. So, like, and so that's, I think that's a really good thing because it allows more people access to things. So it doesn't matter where you're from or what you do, you can go and see them. Mm hmm as long as you can afford the train fare. Um, but, you know, you can you can do it. You can go and see them. And I think that's really important because exposure to this sort of stuff is quite difficult, especially, you know, like... And we're talking about it in terms of the theatre and even, like, in terms of film. Like, going to see a film costs money. Going to the theatre costs money. And so if sometimes having is a sort of, like a place where people can go and actually see theatre without having to pay for it is really important because it gives them exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is that being able to go into museums and see some of these objects or paintings, I think is incredibly important for people because the thing is, is that they might not otherwise know anything about them and they might not get close to seeing what people have done in the past or what people are doing now in terms of culture and art. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I think is really important. I'm sure a lot of people do go. I mean, the problem is, is that basically in Britain, you do have a, a problem with the fact that um, London basically absorbs most of the resources and wealth because it's so big. So it gets a lot of attention. So that's where the galleries are. That's what the museums are. So it's it used to be the center of an empire so i mean or the capital of an empire so it's unsurprising that that's happened but there's been not too much focus on allowing people from outside london to go and see this stuff without having to pay large amounts of money to travel there right so i think that's a problem yeah i think i think one of the things that new york did very well and it was very smart of them is that the moma is free you can mm-hmm. pay to go in it is not required Mm -hmm. and actually the fee to go in is like i mean the last time i was there was a while ago if i remember correctly it was like seven to ten dollars if you wanted but it was Mm -hmm. all donations it wasn't you must pay a ticket to go into this space it was it's free go ahead wander around you want to go on a tour Mm -hmm. and have information given to you that'll cost a little extra but actually just like going into that space was free um, mm-hmm. it's actually been a very long time since I've been to the Louvre. I don't remember. I think you had to pay to go into the Louvre. I think mm-hmm. you actually have to pay for any museum in France. Mm-hmm. 
I'm pretty sure all like all of them you have to pay for them. One of my favorite is um uh oh no, I'm going to forget what it was called. Le Quai d'Orsay. Pretty sure that's which mm-hmm. one it was and it has one of my favorite pieces which was a doorway that was sculpted and it's supposed to be the doorway to hell and you see like all these oh. figures falling across it. You look at it, you don't oh. realize that it's stone. It is made out of stone. Right. And I think really? the actual, the final uh, version of that sculpture was made out of bronze, I think. Okay. But like early versions were done in wood and there's also versions done in stone. And the one that's at the Quai say I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure is made out of stone. And it's, it's beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Okay. I can't remember who the artist was. I'm going to have to look it up. But like that, that is one thing that I always wished... Paris specifically, but other places in France mm. were better about too, was actually making it free so that anyone could go see it. Um, yes. I mean, students always had a reduced price, which was great. Yeah. I like that. I think that's great. Um, but you can make it free or like suggested donation. <laughs> that would be huge. Yeah. I mean, th- th- these, these places will, will, will get funding and backing. I mean, it's just because they're, they're very important because they are doing the work of the restoration or maintenance of the pieces, they're going to be, um, well, they're curating them, basically. They're looking after them. So really state funding for that is a good idea because, I mean, you know, it will bring in tourists. It does help with education and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's just one of those things. I think, you know, people should be educated in the arts because it's part of a way of, like, connecting to you historical and cultural past but it also is a way of connecting to other cultures that you might not know anything about which is really important especially as the world gets more and more sort of globalized it's an inevitability i mean what what you whether you like it or not it's going to get more globalized and people are going to move around more and we're going to have to do more in order to sort of um educate ourselves and other people Mm -hmm. about our culture and then their cultures as well we're going to have to because it will be back and forth and the thing is the arts is one of the most fluid areas people borrow and niche and adapt things to fit their culture all the time oh. whatever art it, form it is yeah so you need to know i mean there was a huge movement in france and i know it happened in england too where they basically co-opted chinese styles of doing porcelain mm-hmm. and like Yes, it yes. was French, like it definitely was French, and you could tell because it didn't look exactly right. But they started adapting mm-hmm. Chinese and Japanese ways of doing pottery and art that mm-hmm. was being co-opted and used by European artists because they importing yeah. it was very expensive. So they were like, "Well, why don't we do it ourselves? We could probably do it just as well." It wasn't as good, but it was cl- <laughs> like they were, it was closer. Also, I found the name. It yeah. was it's called The Gates of Hell by Auguste Rodin. So it was a Rodin. It's beautiful. Oh. Um if you get the chance, go to the Quai d'Orsay. That thing is fantastic. But going back to what I was saying, yeah, have yeah. <laughs> we have like historical evidence of us co-opting and being influenced by other artists mm-hmm. and other styles and i think with as you said us going into a world that's more connected than ever it will not be shocking that you will see more art that's being co-opted from other cultures and mm. i am starting to see more art that's being influenced by the internet 
which I think is fascinating. Like one of my friends does art where she'll include like windows, like tabs and pages in her art, which I think is fascinating. It's really interesting to see like how the internet and how the design of what we look at on our computers is starting to influence Mm -hmm. the visual arts. Well, I mean, the thing is that visual arts, the the one thing that's really important is that really it's kind of the opposite to music in the sense because most visual arts generally speaking are representations of real things they might be highly stylized in certain senses but you don't really get much abstract stuff unless you're talking about islamic art islamic art has a lot of stuff which is sort of like it's not even abstract because it's geometric it's beautiful oh my gosh because they can't they can't represent people that's the, yes. like that's what the origin is in Islamic art. They are not allowed to portray God or really any people. So instead, they not really no. They did geometric art. Yeah, because I mean, there's a, there's a fear of iconography because I mean, because Islam does have a, like go back to the Bible as well, and it does say that thou shalt not worship any graven image. So within Islam, there's a huge worry about iconography. I mean, in Iran. They definitely do have a lot of images of things like they have these little miniatures, which are really interesting. Of like where you see, um, I'm not even sure what they're on. I think they are like sort of like porcelain plates, and it's just images of people playing polo or all sorts or things like that. And you do see sort of like some strong evidence of things. Well, I think they look like they're influenced by um, Chinese art to an extent. But then you, you you know you had the Mongols invading through there, so they might have brought stuff and communicated with that sort of stuff. And you got the Silk Road and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got people in India like the Mughals, who are very powerful, but they were descended from Mongols, so they might have had sort of like influence in terms of like, well, this is the kind of art that we're used to. We know about China because we've got cousins who are living in China, so <laughs> a bit of communication, bit of information. But it's 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 sort of it's you know because they took over the large areas and they're descended from people who were invaders, so. You do see some of that, I assume, I don't know enough, but I mean, there is some stuff where you look at it and go, that does look like, particularly the representations of demons in, in Iran. You look at the representation, it looks almost exactly like a Japanese oni. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming it probably is actually a Chinese image that's been taken to Japan and then moved over to sort of like Western Asia as well. I don't know, but I mean, the coincidence to me seems like quite stark just the image is so close it's actually really interesting in art to see how like certain things change over time like the images Mm -hmm. of dragons how they started off as kind of like these weird wormy looking things and then over time they got bigger and bigger they got fangs they got wings like they really kind of like pimped out a dragon whereas when they started off they were very almost snake-like and i think it's yeah. very similar with demons too it's like they're like humans mm. but weird and so they just like yeah. took whatever yeah. weird thing they could and like slapped it on they were like that's a demon that's evil um but <laughs> <laughs> but i think what's so interesting is how adaptation and influence of each other has been happening through history and we're definitely mm-hmm. still seeing it now um oh, yeah so I'm I'm you honestly just it. fascinated to see how it's going to change. Yes. I mean, and that's the nice thing is that, you know, particularly visual arts are probably one of the best ways to see change because it's really easy to work it out. Um, you can tell when something is very, very old because you just look at it and go, well, that's in that style. And you just know that that's not a more recent thing. Because I think 
when you go further back, people are more in, aren't so interested in um, accurate representation. It's not it's not meant to be sort of like a realistic portrayal of what you're seeing. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into the art. So there's like allegory. There's um, not metaphor, but you know the stylization. There's imagery in there that is designed, particularly within religious art. Mm-hmm. It's not designed to be an accurate representation of a human being. What it is to, is to represent ideas and thoughts and stories within a painting. And so you have like certain kinds of things, particularly particularly if you look at sort of like Byzantine art and stuff within the Orthodox Church and sort of like the medieval Catholic Church. They're not really interested in sort of like perspective and proportion and stuff like that because yeah, it's what they're flat. portraying to you. Yeah, they're portraying to you ideas about the religion. They're not portraying to you accurate representations of what is there. Mm-hmm. It, that's not what's important about it. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to help you to think about the religion, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. Because we, we sort of like nowadays, we say, kind of, well, yeah, but they didn't understand perspective. And I'm pretty sure they did understand perspective. Of course they did. But they weren't interested in representing it. Otherwise, they would have done it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. It's, 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 and I always worry about the idea of progress in art. Because I, I think that's a bit of a worry. I don't think there is such a thing as progress in art as such. Like, oh, well, you know, because I remember being in school. Like, oh, they discovered how to do perspective in the Renaissance. And you're kind of going... I'm not sure they did. <laughs> they must because I mean, like, what happened all of a sudden one day people went, oh, yeah, well, we've been doing this wrong all this time and we've got to do it like this now. Because you look at sort of like things that the ancient Greeks were doing, they were interested in sort of like realism in terms of their sculpture and the, and the Romans were interested in realism in terms of their sculpture. Mm-hmm. So they obviously knew how to do it. And those things weren't necessarily lost. But you, what you see is that what, what Byzantine art looks like is it looks like the kind of Roman mosaics that you would see on the floors and stuff. It has that kind of tiled effect. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what they're doing, is they're mimicking that. They're not mimicking statues. Mm-hmm. Whereas they could do the statues. You've got the marble statues that have been carved, so people obviously knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But it served a particular function. So the realism in those statues is important. But when it gets to sort of like religious iconography and stuff like that and mosaics you're not so interested in realism you're interested in representation of something in a particular way and so you even sort of like when when there were still pagans you got a representation of the gods you got representations of gladiators and stuff like that and they they're in proportion and stuff but it's not designed to be realistic it's not realism that's interesting there yeah it's, it's more um, the idea behind what they're trying to show their audience yeah yeah. One of my I mean, favorite things is sorry. looking at old paintings, usually like Middle Ages, and seeing what they thought mm. animals looked like. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you see like, this is what they thought a cat looked like, and you look at it, it's a straight up a human face and just like a ball of fur, and you're like, that's a terrifying yeah. image of a cat. But like you said, <laughs> it's a representation. They're not 100% yeah. sure. So they were like, this is what we think it is. So we're going to go with that. Yeah, because they didn't have photographs, so you couldn't like photograph a rhinoceros and bring it back and go, "That's a rhinoceros." And go, "All right, I'll paint that now." Yeah, you just had descriptions. You just had descriptions of what the animal looked like, and then you kind of go, "Well, that's near enough. (laughs) Be all right." (laughs) You know, they're so fun. I love looking at like really old maps or old like scripts, Mm -hmm. and then they have the paintings in them, and they're always beautiful. And then you'll look at the animals, Mm -hmm. and you're like, "I don't know what that is." 
I think it's maybe a snake. <laughs> Who knows? Like you, you will kind of have to guess. And that's where I think it's more easy at the time to believe that there were monsters in that period mm-hmm. because like you said, we don't have photographs. They didn't have photography. Yeah. So everything that was brought back was all visual or oral descri- descriptions. And if yes. you describe a rhinoceros or an elephant to a person who's never seen it, mm-hmm. it could sound very scary. And so I could see why they yeah. were more willing to believe in monsters then because, mm. hell, like if, if that's your only way of understanding what those creatures are, that can be pretty frightening. <laughs> yeah. And so you do represent these strange animals that probably don't exist, but all you're, all you're getting is reports and stories. I mean, the one thing is a fun thing is, you know, the map of Mundi, you know, that sort of like strange map of the world where everyone goes, oh, well, they obviously didn't know what the world looked like. The interesting thing is about the map of Mundi is it's a religious thing. So you have Rome, which is at the centre always in the map of Mundi, because that's where the seat of Christian power resides at the time. And then at the top you have God. And the thing is, is interesting is, is that, it's, it shows a flat disc, and people go, oh, they thought the Earth was flat, and it's like, they didn't. What the map of Mundi is is a representation of their understanding of the Christian world at the time, mm-hmm. and how it all ties in together, and it's sort of like, kind of like trying to tell you the story of Christianity, coming from like the Garden of Eden to Jerusalem to Rome and all, all that sort of stuff. And the thing is, you've got God, or maybe I think Jerusalem is set at the centre of the Earth, actually, that might be the ball correct because it's a holy city. But the thing is, you've got God that's represented, and in his hand, he's holding an orb, which is to represent the earth. Mm-hmm. So they knew that the earth was round, and God is holding it in his hand. And so it's just one of those things is that, you know, because it's a thing of like, also like education, going back to that, is that if you don't understand the art, and you don't understand what it means, you think these people are stupid. It's like, or don't understand the world. Obviously, they had less understanding than we do. But the thing is, what they're doing is they're representing something that doesn't make sense to us anymore because mm-hmm. we don't live in that world. We don't think in those terms. We don't have that religion. And it's the same with any art form as it takes a long time to learn about it unless, unless you're really just going for straight-up representation of objects, which is technical skill and stuff like that. So it's just a beautiful painting. It's like, that's fine. There's technique and balance and all that sort of stuff, which is important. But... Oftentimes, there are other things that are going on in paintings and sculptures that you re- you required. It assumes that the viewer has knowledge of what's being represented, mm-hmm. an understanding of the story behind the object mm-hmm. or painting, which I think is again why we need our museums to be free. <laughs> Agreed. More museums need to be yeah. free. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing you take away from this, museums need to be free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. I've had a blast talking about the visual arts because it is something that I have definitely been able to explore in my travels. And I hope that other people do that, too, because there's some very valuable stuff that's in our visual arts um, around the world. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. And we'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you want to find us, we are on Twitter at Passport, N-E-C-E-S-S-1. We are also on YouTube, and you can find us anywhere where fine podcasts can be found. Um, through Anchor, that is our main platform, but you can also find us through Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, please feel free to leave us a comment, a review. We definitely appreciate those. They make us really happy uh, to see them. And feel free to um, send us questions via Twitter or any of the uh, formats 
formats that we're on. We have some really exciting episodes lined up in the future. Um, and hopefully we will have a Facebook group that will be up and running soon uh, where you can absolutely chat with other people who listen to the podcast or even ask us questions. Uh, So thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to see you next time. Bye.